Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. As we find it written in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, reading there in the fifth chapter, beginning at the fourteenth verse. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that called you, who also will do it. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. And it is a beautiful morning, isn't it? A beautiful Sunday morning in November. And I hope that all of us are glad to be here for the occasion to worship our God at this time. You have heard me mention that today is the 22nd Sunday after Trinity. This means that this is the third last Sunday of the present church year. After today, there are only two more Sundays remaining. We shall bring this church year to an end. And then on the last Sunday of this month, we shall begin another new church year with the Advent season when we get ready for Christmas. And I know that when the shadows are lengthening and we're coming to the end of a church year, our minds naturally turn to thoughts of the end of the world and to thoughts about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the text that I just read is very appropriate for this Sunday because it talks about the return of our Lord. We find it in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. You recall that on his second missionary journey, Paul came to the city of Thessalonica and he founded a congregation there. Later on, when he was down in Corinth, he wrote this first letter, perhaps the first of the 13 letters that we have in the New Testament from his pen by inspiration of God. It was about the year 53 or 54, about 18 years after his conversion. And this is what he writes to the Christians who were living in Thessalonica. He says, I pray God that your whole spirit, that your whole soul, that your whole body may be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Thessalonians, this is my heart's desire. This is my longing. This is my prayer. This is what I want you to do. I want you to see to it that you will be preserved blameless until the Lord returns. I want you to do everything so that you will be blameless, you will be faultless, you will be without reproach when Jesus comes again. He says to them, do it now. Let this be the top priority in your life, Christians, that you will see to it, that you will do everything so that when the Lord returns, you will be able to stand before him faultless, 
without blame, and that you will be vindicated, and that again there will be a verdict of acquittal, and that he will say everything is just right. And today, as the shadows are lengthening, and this is the third last Sunday of the present church year, and you and I think of the end of time, and we think of the return of Christ, the Apostle Paul says to us as Christians, do it now, will you please? Will you make this the top priority of your life? Will you make this the chief concern of your living today, right now, that you will see to it that you are going to be blameless, that you are going to be faultless, that you are going to be without any kind of despair on the part of yourself when Jesus comes again? You and I may say, why should I do it now? Why should that be the top priority in my life today? Why should that be my chief concern? That I should say, this is my top priority today, that I should see to it, that I'm going to be able to be blameless, that I will be acquitted, that Christ will have nothing against me on the day when he returns and when he comes back to this earth. We may say to ourselves, Paul, what's the hurry? We may say, what's the rush? I don't see any urgency about it. Because we may have said to ourselves, when he comes again, there's going to be plenty of time in order for us to see so that we'll be blameless and that we will be without reproach. We'll have all the time in the world. When he comes to do that, why should I do it now? Why should I be so concerned that this should be top priority now, today, that I should see to it that I'm going to be blameless when Jesus returns. And the Apostle Paul would say to you and me this morning, do it now. For God's sake, don't delay. Don't again say to yourself, I'm going to just let this thing slip by. Paul says, do it now. Let this be top priority that you're going to see to it and lend every effort that you're going to be blameless when it comes again because Paul says there is a great reason for urgency. There's a great reason to be in a hurry. There is a great reason to do it now because Paul reminds you that when he comes again, there will be no time in order to make sure that we're going to be blameless. Paul would remind you and me this morning that when Christ returns, there will not be one billionth of a second in which you and I will have time in order to make ourselves blameless at that day. We may say to ourselves at this time, do you mean to say that when Christ comes again, there will be no time, whatever. There won't even be as much time as a billionth of a second for you and me to make sure that we're going to be blameless when he comes at that day. And that's exactly what Paul would have you and me know. Because in the first place, he would remind us that Christ's coming is going to be as a thief in the night there will be no immediate advance warnings of his coming that you and I may use that time in order to make sure that we're going to be blameless when he comes. Oh, I know that the Word of God tells us a lot about the signs of Christ's second coming, that there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. I know the Word of God says that there will be wars and rumors of wars, that there will be distress among nations and men's hearts failing them for fear because of the things that have come on the face of the earth. But do you know that there isn't one sign in the Word of God that tells you and me that this is going to be the sign that will immediately happen before he comes as though we're going to have about a 10-minute warning? 
Jesus put it this way when he was on earth. He said, I'm going to come, and when I come, I'm going to come as a thief in the night. And when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he told them that when Christ comes back, it's going to be like a thief in the night. And you may say, what's the picture? No thief that's coming to your house and mine to rob it at night gives you and me any advance warning. He doesn't call us and say, this night at such and such a time, I'm going to come and I'm going to ransack your home. There are no immediate signals that a thief gives us that he's coming. And so Jesus would want you and me to know this, that when he comes again, there are a lot of signs that he mentions, but there is no immediate signal to tip us off. That we may say, now I've got ten minutes, and now I can see to it that I will be blameless, and that I will be faultless, and I will be without reproach when he comes. He is going to come as the thief in the night. And no wonder then Paul says to you and me, as the shadows lengthen today, he would say, do it now. Let this be the top priority of your life, that you're going to see to it today, that you're going to be without fault when he comes again. There won't be one billionth of a second time when he comes because there will be no advance signals or warnings to tip you and me off. And therefore, the only time that we have is now. There is no other time that you and I have for saying to ourselves, I want to be blameless, I want to be spotless, I want to be without shame and disgrace when he comes, because there will not be time when he comes back, no advance tips, no ten minutes in order to get ready. And therefore, as the shadows lengthen today, we ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to do it now. This is going to be the top priority in my life now. That I'm going to see to it that when he does come, that I am going to be blameless and faultless. And if you and I say that to ourselves today, we say, how can I do that? Well, then we ought to determine today, without any delay, without any procrastination, we ought to say, I'm going to make sure that I have repented of my sins and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. We may say, how can I make sure that I'm going to be blameless when he comes, when there is going to be no immediate signal that I won't have a billionth of a second to be blameless when he comes? The thing to do is to ask ourselves, have I repented of my sins today? Have I turned to him and admitted that I am a sinner, that I am lost and I am damned without him? Have I turned to him and put my faith in him as my Christ and as my Lord? Do I believe that he who was the Son of God, that on the cross he bore hell and damnation for me, and that he arose from the dead and assures me that in him there is forgiveness, there is life and salvation? If this morning you and I can say, I have repented of my sins, I have put my faith and my trust in him as my Savior, then in that moment, Jesus, because he scored on the cross and earned a 100% righteousness for you and me, or let me put it this way, he earned a spotless robe, a blameless robe. He earned a faultless robe, a reproachless robe for every human being. And in the moment in your life and mine, when we repent of our sins and we put our faith in him, he gives us this spotless, faultless robe of righteousness. And if you and I have repented of our sins this morning and we have put our faith in him, then we have this joy, this comfort, this assurance that should he come right now, when he comes there will be no advanced ten-minute signal, we can be assured that we'll stand before him blameless, 
and spotless because we will have on through faith in him that spotless robe whiter than snow no blame this the robe that again no one can look at it and find one flaw can find one blemish that's the comfort we can have when we can say to ourselves i have repented i have put my faith and trust in him the shadows are lengthening and we're thinking about christ coming and paul as he wrote to the thessalonians paul says to you and me do it now do it today let this be your top priority he says i pray you make sure today and don't delay don't procrastinate don't put it off and make sure that you are going to be blameless in the day when he comes again and Paul says it's urgent it's a matter of life and death uh, you've got to be in a hurry because Paul would remind you there there won't be any time when he comes in order for you and me to be blameless there will not be one billionth of a second when he comes because in the second place Paul would remind you and me of this that Christ coming means that he is going to come and when he comes that is a closely guarded secret so that it's going to be a surprise it is going to be instantaneous and at the time when he comes there will not be one billionth of a second for you and me to say i'm going to now become blameless jesus you know when he was here on earth he said something about his coming Remember he said, but of that day, speaking about his return, but of that day and that hour, he said, knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. We may say to ourselves, what did he mean? This is rather a mysterious thing. When he said, I'm coming back, he says, but at the time, I'm coming. But as regards that time or that hour, he says, no man knows. In view of that, isn't it ridiculous? So many who even call themselves Christian trying to figure out when Christ is going to return. That some have even said that he has already come. That there are those days going to come at a certain time because they go back to Daniel and they figure by the weeks that Daniel mentioned when Jesus says, but of that day and that hour, no man knows. A false prophet is anybody who tries to tell you and me when Jesus is coming back in view of the words of Jesus, no man knows. But of that day and that hour, he says, knoweth no man, neither the angels which are in heaven. Talk about a secret. We talk about the 10,000 times 10,000 angels, the 100 million angels. We know of Gabriel, we know of Michael. There isn't an angel in heaven that knows when the second coming of Jesus Christ will occur. Then he says, neither the Son, and that bothers many Bible scholars. What did he mean? As the Son of God, equal in essence with the Father, Jesus knows the time of his second coming. When he was here on earth as the Son of God, this was one secret that he kept from his humanity. When he became a human being, born of the Virgin Mary without sin, he shared in all the glory of his deity because he was true God. But there was one thing that he withheld from his humanity when he was here on earth, and that was the very day and the hour when he was coming back. He, as man, didn't know. As God, he does. He, as God, as the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Here is a real military secret. Only God knows when Jesus is coming back. And that means, in simple language, it's going to be sudden. It's going to be such a surprise that at that moment, there won't be one billionth of a second time 
that you and I can say, I'm going to use this time now that I'm going to see that I shall be blameless and faultless when he comes. There just won't be any. There is no advance signal. There will be no second when he comes because it's going to be a surprise. Only God knows. Jesus says, when you least expect me, boom, just like that he comes. And therefore, no wonder Paul says, he wrote to the Thessalonians because, again, he said, I pray for you. Will you do this? Will you do it now? Will you make this the top priority of life? Why? Because the only time that you and I have for seeing to it that we will be blameless and faultless when Christ comes back is now, and the now is shorter than it was when church started this morning. It's shorter than it was yesterday. The time is nearer because each day brings us closer to the time when he's coming back. The only time you and I have is now. It is shorter than it was when I began this sermon. It's shorter as the clock ticks on or as your wristwatch ticks on. Each tick makes that time just a little shorter. No wonder Paul says, do it now. Uh, don't delay. It's a matter of life and death. There is a hurry. There is an urgency. There is a rush. Because Paul says, when he comes, there isn't going to be any time whatsoever. There will not be one billionth of a second time for you and me to say, now I'm going to see to it that I shall be faultless and that I shall again be able to stand before him without any blemish or without spot. It just won't be. And therefore we ought to say to ourselves this morning, I'm going to do it now. There is going to be no delay. I'm going to let this be top priority in my life. Then I, I want to be, when he comes again, I want to be blameless and I want to be faultless. And we may say, well, how do you do that? It ought to mean this, that this morning we say, not only will I determine to repent of my sins and put my faith in Christ, then we ought to say, I'm going to determine today that I'm never going to grieve the Spirit by doing that which I know is wrong, by doing willful sinning. You may say, how in the world can I make sure today that I am going to be without blame and without fault when he comes back when again there will be no time then and when I, I don't know when he's coming. Well, what we have to do then is this. Paul told him, don't grieve the Spirit. How do I grieve the Holy Spirit? How do I sin against him? I do that when I deliberately in my life do that which I know is wrong. Because when in your life and mine we as Christians say, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway, it is then that we grieve the Holy Spirit and he takes off of your soul and mine, as it were, of that spotless robe of righteousness that we had on. You can't keep that robe of blamelessness, that robe of reproachlessness on when you and I deliberately sin and go against our better knowledge. And therefore it means this, that we say to ourselves, I'm not going to grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to do anything deliberately that would cause him to take off that robe of Christ's righteousness, that blemishless robe off of me. And therefore if we determine and ask the Holy Spirit to give us strength that we will never do that which we know is wrong so that we do not kill our conscience, we do not grieve and choke him, then you and I can have this comfort today that whenever Christ chooses to come, even though you and I know that it's going to be a secret that's going to come suddenly, there will not be one billionth of a second, and even though it can come any time, we can have the assurance that we will be blameless because 
then we will know we'll still have on that blemishless robe of righteousness if we can just keep on that robe of blamelessness and of reproachlessness. Some people say, why does God keep this thing such a military secret? Wouldn't it have been kinder on his part to have told us when he was coming? Wouldn't it be nicer if the angels knew that we knew it? May I say in mercy, it's the finest thing that he ever did. Because he knew if he would have told us the time of Jesus coming, that again, you and I would wait. We would harden ourselves. We would say, what do I care? I'm going to live as I please. If he had told you and me the day of our death, it would have been the same thing. Supposing you and I were told we were going to live till we're going to be 98 years of age. The great danger in your life and mine would be that we're going out and deliberately sin. We would grieve the Spirit to the point that we would harden our hearts, that there wouldn't be any desire on our part to ever want to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ. In mercy, the love of God shines brightest in the fact that God said, this is a military secret for your own good. I wouldn't dare tell you when my son is coming back. I wouldn't dare tell you the day of your death because, again, I want you to do it now. I want you to make sure before you harden your heart in sin. This is the comfort that you and I can have. We say to ourselves that Paul looks at you and me as the shadows are lengthening and we're coming to the end of another church year. We say about Christ coming, Paul said, would you do it now? Would you make this the top priority of your life that you're going to be blameless and you're going to be faultless and again, you're going to be without reproach when Christ comes again that you're going to be acquitted? You and I may say, oh, what, what's the hurry? I don't see any all-fired urgency about this. And Paul says there won't be any time when he returns. There won't be one billionth of a second time in order for you to do that. And you and I may say, why won't there? Well, because in the third place, Paul reminds you and me this, that when... Jesus comes again, he's going to shut the door. And when he shuts the door, he's going to shut it forever. And there won't be any time there for following his coming, whereby you and I may say, now I've got plenty of time in order that again, I may see that I'm going to be blameless. Remember when Jesus was here on earth and he told the parable of the ten virgins and he talked about the time when the bridegroom came, you know, five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the bridegroom went in, they shut the door and the five came and they beat on the door and that door was shut and that door was shut forever. Rather strange, isn't it, that sometimes we forget it. There are those that like to go to Revelation 20, to the book that is again very, very difficult to understand. And because in Revelation 20 it said that Satan shall be bound for a thousand years, there are those that like to envision that somehow or other Christ is going to come and then he's going to institute a millennial reign. The word millennium is Latin for thousand or the Greek word is kilioi or kiliasm. And that then there's going to be another chance. There are premillennialists and postmillennialists that when he comes before the final judgment, that everybody in this millennial age, as it were, will have a, another chance. And so you don't have to do this thing now. Wait till he comes again, rather strange. Jesus, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you hear nothing about anything like a millennial reign, and we may wonder, are we interpreting Revelation correctly then? And on the contrary, Jesus says, I'm going to shut the door. When the bridegroom comes and the door is going to be shut forever, on the basis of clear scripture, there will be no time when he comes after his coming for a second chance. There is a more conservative interpretation of that thousand years. All that it says that he shall be bound. This thousand year period 
rather mysterious. But again, here we have not literal language in the book of Revelation, it's figurative. The finest explanation of the thousand years is the time between his two advents. He came the first time and he's coming back. This is the New Testament era when Satan is bound. Jesus is still running the show. But because this is the time of choice, even on a chain, Satan can do his diabolical work. Men can still choose him if they want him. But Christ is still on the throne. Whenever you and I pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, For thine is the kingdom. You're on top, Jesus. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. You're coming out on top. You're not going to fail. And the great meaning there can be, as the Lutheran Church interprets it, this is the New Testament era. He's coming again. And he again, when he comes again, he has Satan. Even though Satan again may be loosed at the last and you and I see him, he's still controlled by Christ. But nevertheless, men who turn to him and we look at a world and we say, it looks like all hell has broken loose and that's about the way it looks. But nevertheless, there is one who is still holding him in control. The door will be shut. There will be no time. There will not be one billionth of a second for you and me to be blameless when he comes, the door is going to be shut. And therefore, the only time we have, and no wonder Paul says, do it now. Let this be your top prayer. If you're going to get it done, you're going to have to do it now without delay, without procrastination. The only time we have is now, and that may end the day. You and I can die today, can't we? We can die in a matter of seconds, and your death and mine will be the same as his second coming, because the way you and I are at death, that's the way we're going to be when he comes again. That time can end today in your life and mine. It's no wonder then, as the shadows begin to lengthen, that Paul says, do it now. This is my concern. Will you see to it? Will you let this be the top priority in your life, that you're going to say, I'm going to be without blame, and I'm going to be without fault, when he comes again, then we ought to do this. We ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to determine today that my faith in Christ is going to show itself in a life that measures up to my faith. You may say, how in the world, what can I do today that I can know that I'm going to be blameless and faultless when he comes again, when there won't be a billionth of a second for me to do it then? And when he can come any time, why, the thing to do, Paul says, as he wrote to the Christians in his day, he says, again, let your face shine. You talked about the Christian life. He said, again, uh, go out and he says, live peaceably with all men. Uh, help those that need help. Uh, try to do good to all men. Pray without ceasing, he says. And see that your lives, again, uh, give no semblance of evil. In other words, go out and let your face shine in your life. That your life will sort of blend with your faith and that it's alive. And then what? You and I can have this joy that when he does come, there won't be any warning, whatever. And again, the door will be shut when he comes that we can have the assurance that we are without blame because we will still have on that robe of blamelessness because our lives will assure us every day that ours is a living faith, and that it's a, not a sham faith, that it's not a faith that has gone to sleep, because it's a living faith as we see it in our life, that our lives measure up to what it ought to be as a Christian, and that therefore we still have on that robe that is blemishless, that is whiter than snow, that robe of righteousness. That's the way you and I get ready. And then we can have this joy that when that coming of Jesus occurs, 
when it comes without any advance signals whatsoever, when, as a thief in the night is going to come, when it's going to be a secret that is going to be sudden, and when the door will be closed that you and I can say, but I can still be there and blameless and faultless because I can still have on the robe that he gave me when I put my faith and trust in him. And thus ours can be this comfort of having him say, come on home. I've come for you. We ought to be like the man who said he begins every day in his life by raising the shade of his bedroom and he looks out and looks up into the heavens and he says, Lord, is today the day? Are you coming today? Then if you do, come, Lord, and take me home. The joy, oh, to go home, to know that you have on a spotless robe of righteousness, to know that when he comes, he will take us home, when he takes us home, it will be a home where there won't be any tears. How many of us have, oh, we're so burdened and so loaded down with tears and sorrow and heartache. Oh, what life would be if you and I would say, I'm keeping on that spotless robe that he gave me. Lord, are you coming today to take me home? And think of it, there will never be another tear. God shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. This is the joy when you and I do it now. Today, just 34 years ago this Sunday, I stood at that altar and I was installed as your pastor. Reverend Schillinger preached the sermon, if you remember. Dr. Lehman was liturgist. He had filled in in the interim. He just died at the age of 102. I was just a young fellow at that time, just 31 years of age. And I pledged my Lord that Sunday when I was installed as your pastor that I would preach the word of God to you in its truth and purity. And I hope that I have been true to that oath and to that promise. And today I, I couldn't give a finer prayer for you than the one that Paul gave for the Thessalonians when he said, I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body should be preserved blameless unto the coming of Jesus Christ. And that's the prayer that I would pray for you, that your whole spirit and soul and body should be blameless when he comes again that he will say, come, it's time to go home. Come into my mansions. There will be no tears there. That's my prayer. I have you in my heart. That when you and I can look forward with joy to his coming, that we can walk the glory road and walk it with joy. That we might sing... One sweetly solemn thought comes to me o'er and o'er. I'm nearer to my home today than e'er I've been before. Nearer my father's house where the many mansions be. Nearer the great white throne. Nearer the crystal sea. That's my prayer. God bless you. Amen. The peace of God 
which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.